Welcome back to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens. I'm Mason Simmons. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins, the coolest of the group, to be honest. That's what he thinks. Uh, aren't you literally the hottest in the room right now? It is burning up in here. Yeah. Like, it's, we're suffering for y'all. We're actually recording right in the middle of the desert. We got, we got the portable microphones <laughs> out. Yeah. We're, we decided we really want to be one with Jesus. Uh, we want to we walk next to him. Uh, in the most physical sense possible, feeling the heat of the Middle East where he was at. Uh, and we're going to be, this, this joke's got gotten into it, don't worry, fellas. Uh, we're going to be taking a walk with Jesus through the gospel today, oh. the gospel of John. We're doing, we're doing something a little different. Uh, I know we've said that a few times in past episodes, and this is, I believe, episode 11, 12, something like that. So it's not like we've really established a normalcy to deviate from yet. Uh, but We've been kind of sticking to the loose theme of unity, which, I mean, let's be honest, if you're studying God's Word, you're, you're going to touch on unity a lot. So that, that, that was a pretty loose subject to begin with. An easy, Some, loose yeah, subject. Yeah, yeah. Not, not saying that uh, in a bad way at all. And, I mean, we will stick to that in the future. Of maybe we're just kind of playing this by ear, guys. We like talking about Jesus. That's, that's, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing here. That's all we're here to do. Yeah. yeah. Jesus is my guy, so I like talking about him no matter what. Exactly. So we've, we've been doing those sorts of episodes. We've had a, a few interview-style episodes and more to come. Um, but we're taking another little fork in the road subject-wise, and we're, we're going to be drilling hard through the Gospel of John. Because, um, again, we, just, I mean, we love Scripture on this podcast. I mean, as Christians, we love reading God's Word. So mm-hmm. what better way to familiarize ourselves with Scripture than to just go, uh, to use the word that Tanner's thrown around a few times, exegetically, uh, hey. take it verse by verse, break it down and really just meditate and discuss like what I mean what does all this mean uh, and taking this trip uh, with Jesus side by side uh, through the text I'm, I look forward to it this is going to be a, a different kind of journey and again one that I look forward to yeah and just to make clear that there will be you know it's not going to be a straight series of talking about John we'll have little episodes peppered out throughout there of different oh, subjects yeah. Yeah. so I mean you may have a couple of weeks of John and then have a interview with somebody or a topic about something pertinent and then we'll get back to it so don't worry like even though there is value in having those hard like long drills through scripture like it it can it can get you weary if you're not like ready for it so there'll be breaks in between yeah i think script i think it's good to have breaks on a lot of things because you know studying scripture can be taxing and it can be very wearisome sometimes because it's like it can be as deep as you can make it uh, as you want it to be, and it can be so over the head sometimes. And I think John is a good book to start out with because it seems like he just wants to make it for the simple man. You know, he wants to make it obtainable to everybody. I mean, he says that, uh, you know, <clears throat> the the John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written so that you may believe Jesus is who he says he is and believe in him uh, that he will give you life. And so... Uh, I think it's important to see that John is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke comparative to the Synoptic Gospels. So I think that's one thing that we kind of talked about, that John is a fantastic book. And to be honest, John is probably my favorite book out of the New Testament. I would say it's probably my second favorite. It has my favorite chapter, John chapter 15. I mm, really like yeah. John chapter 15. I'm a sucker for Philemon. Is it Philemon or Philemon? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> this is new to me. <laughs> I didn't know there was uh, any debate on that. Oh, I don't know. I was just, I've heard it pronounced different ways, but. I mean, I'm sure depending on where you're from, you'd True. say it different. But that, that's how I'm saying it. 
So uh, John himself, I kind of I think we need to look at who exactly is John, and I think the book of John is full of a picture of God's grace, um, you know, and some even call this book the book of love. Um, and the key word in this book, if you look at and see how many words are used the most, uh, the most word used in the book of John is actually believe. And if you look at the Greek, uh, the Greek word is pisteo, and it, and it r- arrives in the book of John 98 times comparative to a lot of a lot of uh, other words. And if you look at the root word of believe, which, you know, belief, believing, all these other words, it appears like over 130, I believe, times. And so his, John's focus uh, in this book is to show you who Jesus is and to say, hey, I want you to believe. Uh, but knowing that he wants to show God's grace, I think it's interesting to look where he came from as well. So do you remember who his brother was? Well, it was James and John, right? James and John. Yeah. The sons of Zebedee, Zebedee. They were, they were in the boat, I believe, when Jesus called them. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 54, I'm, I'm not going to read it, but there's a story there where James and John were going through uh, a city with Jesus. And the city decided not to accept Jesus. They were just like, no, we don't want any part of you. And so James and John had little grace and said, well... Jesus, do you want us to uh, call fire and brimstone upon this city and to burn it? And Jesus, Jesus rebuked them and said, no, no. I want to have grace on these people even if they deny me and don't want me. So James and John obviously didn't have grace at that time. And then later on, you see, James, you see John have complete grace and having a different aspect, a different view upon, you know, of humanity. And so his, uh, the way that he writes the book is just so full of grace. So it's like, so what changed? What was the changing point, the turning point of John? Uh, and I think that key ingredient is Christ, obviously. And I think his thesis in the whole book of John is to prove that Jesus is who he says he is, like I said before. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, my research on this um, part of John probably wasn't as in-depth as yours. Uh, but regarding the author, like, isn't there like a little bit of conflict on whether or not it was um, John of Zebedee or this figure known as John the Elder? The little bit of research I did said was talking about like there being a little bit of like contention on who the actual author is. Like, there's no, there's no like absolute confirmation that it was one over the other, but most people are pretty confident it was John the disciple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John the Apostle. But so does John the Elder ring a bell for you by any chance? I haven't dived deep into that side of it. No, I'm not 100% sure. Because okay. the extent to which I researched the author was uh, the Bible Project's video on John. Mm. So like, I, I didn't reach any further than that. But uh, information. But I mean, yet, I'm sure they researched that. So let's, let's put But we're all lame. And my scholarship ends and begins at myself learning, to be yeah. honest. So, I mean... John of Zebedee, the apostle, or John the Elder. Either way, the message is real. Oh, yeah. And the message is true and uh, important. So, Now that we've got a bit of a, a layman's background on John, again, we're by no means biblical scholars here, just talking about a book that we enjoy reading. Um, but, I mean, the best way to, to dive in discussion is really just to start, uh, start with the Scripture. So is there any particular... Um, clump of verses, Tanner, that you want to start off with uh, in chapter 1? 
because I mean I'm I'm more than willing to read it if you want to discuss on it. Most of my notes are on the second half of chapter yeah. one. I, I felt pretty confident that you were gonna um, do most of your notes on the first half, just knowing you. <laughs> well, when you say first half, I mean you got to look at. Yeah, I mean it's a uh, long chapter. It's a long. It's it's quite a long chapter, but. Uh, comparative to Psalms 119, it's not that long. But that's an unfair comparison. That's a very unfair <laughs> comparison. Uh, but a bulk of my uh, study is really just on verse one, mm. because verse one of chapter uh, one is is so in depth and so intense that I think it needs uh, a little bit of clarification and and looking deep into. Uh, so when you look at John comparative to the other uh, books. You know, you look at Mark and you look at Luke, and what does the first verse of Mark and Luke, they start off with like some genealogies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Mark, they give the genealogy of, of Christ, and Luke gives the genealogy of Christ, and say, you know, this man was real, this guy exists, and so I'm going to give you the lineage. You know, and I, I could see that being, you know, fair reasoning to do that. I mean, to see that someone's real, is like, yeah, his, his dad was this, his grandfather was who, blah, 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 going through the line of, of who Christ was. Uh, but John is different in itself that instead of going to the beginning of his lineage, that he goes way back in the beginning, even pre-Genesis. So I think it's good to look also at Genesis 1, verse 1 at this, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So verse 1 is kind of a parallel and kind of a uh, shout-out to Genesis chapter 1. So John chapter 1, we'll, we'll go ahead and just read that. Uh, we'll be reading out of the ESV uh, today. So John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So not a long verse, but yet there's a lot to unpack in, there, in, that, in that verse, I believe. So you see, in the beginning, it, it is a callback to Genesis chapter 1. And we think of the beginning, we think of creation. But John... I believe that he's showing us before the beginning of our reality and time, there was something there. So, I mean, here he's giving a statement of some form of creation. We're not talking about evolution. We're not talking about the Big Bang, that there, nothing came out, everything came out of nothing. You know, so there had to be a beginning. And so John, he's making a statement saying that there was something before our time and our reality began. So he's going before time, space, and matter. And so I think that's very important to realize that what was that thing? What, who was there before time really existed? So he goes on and says, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Greek word for word. <laughs> so you look, at the, you look at John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. So what, what exactly is the word? And the Greek for that is logos. Logos, however you want to pronounce it. And that literally means spoken word from God, the sayings of God. And so John, he's showing that God is, is sometimes reveals himself by spoken word via directly by him or by a messenger. Because, you know, in the Old Testament, you have messengers of God, angels, or, or directly speaking in an audible voice in some form of fashion. And so now God is revealing himself in a different way. He is giving his word, a spoken word, in a different way via uh, messenger or v- audible voice. He's doing it in a different way. 
And so John is showing this, and the word that is spoken is of hope. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was was God. Um, in the book, uh, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart by Robert J. Morgan, I think it's pretty cool that he starts out with John chapter 1. And he goes on and says, you know, in that verse, he breaks it down into three key ingredients. He says that the verse speaks of Christ's preexistence. He says that in the beginning was the Word. So in the very beginning, it shows that Jesus is also timeless along with Yahweh God. And continuing on in verse 2 of John chapter 1, it says that he was in the beginning with God. So it's showing that Jesus was there with God before time even existed. So now he's showing that there is a pre-existence of Jesus before he actually showed up on earth uh, 2,000 years ago. Yeah, I remember when that information first clicked with me um, just a few years ago, really, when I was studying on the concept of the divine son, uh, which, I mean, I say the word concept, but, I mean, that's, that's how it was. I mean, in, in the beginning was the word, the word, word, word was with God. Um, this, I like, it was one of those things that I just never really thought about. I mean, being raised in church, it, it was just like, oh, there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's God the Father, there's the Holy Spirit that's given an axe, um, and the Son is Jesus, obviously. So my little kid brain was just like, oh, well, Jesus is the guy that shows up in the New Testament. So that's, I mean, like, just never question, never question the timeline, really. And then it was when I studied over that, uh, that scripture that you just rattled off there, this, this idea that this, the divine Son, the, the Word, was there already. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that that's blew my mind to pieces. Like, wait, this, that, man, God really thought that out. <laughs> well, I also want to point out, too, that this differentiates between a lot of religions. Oh, yeah. A lot. The existence of Christ being coexistive with God himself, being with God, and we'll get further down into uh, the, the, the verse, but yet, you know, there's different religions out there that says, well, Jesus was just a prophet. You know, he, he died just like any other man. You know, the, the Muslims, they believe that, you know, he was just a prophet of Allah. And, you know, he just died. You know, he was just a messenger. And, oh, the, the Mormons think, you know, well, he was just a, uh, the brother of Satan, not really equal with God, but a son of God. He was human at once, but became God. Just this weird, you know, crazy cult type deal thing but there's a lot of the, the the whole focus around what differentiates us from a lot of stuff is that jesus being equal with god and the son of god coming down to flesh dying on the cross and raising again uh, so robert morgan he says there's a pre-existence of christ pre-existent nature of christ that he pre-existed with god the second thing he points out is that the verse speaks of christ coexistence with with God, so and the Word was with God. Uh, now, the mysterious Trinity is spoken of, but not really explained in this in this verse. And I think it's kind of important to touch a little bit on the Trinity. Um, and I think Robert Morgan says it's good in this book. He says that the Trinity of Jesus, the Trinity and Jesus, both mysterious are imponderables. We can never fathom which is only to be expected if God is really God and Jesus is truly who he claims to be. So should we even give examples of the Trinity? I know you hear this all the time growing up of like, well, you know, 
The Trinity is like a, a three-leaf clover, you know, it's three different leaves, but yet one. But it's like, wait a minute, God the Father, the God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, they're all different things in one. So do, do you think it's do you think it's important do you think it's important should we explain the trinity is there or should we just kind of leave that alone The trinity is borderline impossible to comprehend on a logical scale cuz this this is another thing that again growing up in church it's kind of an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time because I've never questioned the th- the trinity like I've always just grown up just, just knowing that it's God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and like that that is fact that is biblical fact Never given a reason to question it, really. When, trying to explain that to the non-believer is right about impossible. Mm-hmm. Like without, because I don't understand. Yeah, it. without having like a, a firm scriptural foundation, because that, that's one of those things that I mean, it's impossible for us to do. It's impossible to wrap your your mind around. It's like trying to explain to someone, well, you see, God created everything. Yeah, but when was God born? Wait, what? God, God wasn't born. God's been around since. There's no beginning. For, there was there was. It, the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. Like it, and that's one of the beautiful things about God. Like, you can't put him in a box. He's capable of this stuff. So I, I think trying to describe the Trinity is disingenu- disingenuous at best and dangerous at worst. Mm-hmm. What's one of the Trinity examples that you heard growing up, Mason? I mean... As Fidget spinner theology. <laughs> Fidget spinner. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Uh, I mean, I've always heard, like, you know, the three-leaf clover, you know, you hear, like, you know, there's three leaves, but it all comes from the same stalk. So it's all it's all the same being, but it has their separate parts. And, I mean, the best way that I can think of it is, you know, kind of how God designed us and ourselves. You know, we have our flesh, we have our man, but we also have our soul or our conscience, and then we also have, you know, our spirit that God's put in us. And so... Uh, it's just, it, it's like you said, you can't wrap your head around it. And a lot of people will say, well, then it's not real. Well, no, if we could wrap our head around it, that would just make God like, it would bring God's statue down. If we could truly understand God, why would there be a need for him? Mm -hmm. God, the father is the CEO of a company. God, the Holy Spirit, is all the security cameras and hidden microphones throughout the businesses that the CEO owns. You're just making up a horrible example. God, the Son, is when that CEO puts on a disguise and participates in an episode of Undercover Boss. No, 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 What is that belief that it's like a oneness? I think it's a oneness theology where, you know, when... Christ came down, it was basically God putting on a mask in disguise. And so when he left, there was no God the Father no more. It was just, it was just Jesus, just God, God, the, God the Father in a, in, a, in a human form, but yet there's no more Father. It was just God in flesh. I'll just put it like a Groucho Marx glasses, nose, stash set on and waltzed around for a while. You know, and I, and I, to- I totally agree. And this is one thing that, like, I, th- I don't think it's wrong to teach young ones about this, but yet the, I think we need to be very careful because you might give them some, you might tell them something that ends up being a very warped theology later on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I would agree that trying to define the Trinity, which is beyond human reality. I mean, the and I think Mason is probably the closest that, you know, and I totally agree. Ma- Mason explained, you know, that we are kind of three parts of the spirit, 
flesh and, and soul. That's the closest you can probably get because, I mean, we are made in God's image, and that's probably the closest you're ever going to get example-wise. But it kind of breaks our minds to the point where it's, it's almost impossible to understand this reality. And it's almost impossible to try to explain and understand in human cognitivity. You know, you can, you can talk about this all day long, but yet I don't think there'll ever be a truly fully understanding. But yet, you know what, this is, this is something that I think it's okay, you know, for us not to understand. I think that, you know, just like Robert Morgan said, that, you know, these mysteries are imponderable that we can never, never fathom, but yet that's what we expect about God. If God is who he says he is, and if Jesus is who he says he is, guess what? There's going to be things that we're just not going to understand. And that's okay, and that's where faith steps in, and then it's, it's just all right. But I do, do, I do agree that the concept of the Trinity, which the word Trinity is not in the Bible. I hope that's a, that's a later doctrine that has been transcribed to certain teachings uh, by Jesus and, and the disciples and uh, Apostle Paul. But yet this is a core doctrine that, I, that most Christians truly, uh, I would hope, they agree on is the Trinity. Even though I just talked about how, like, uh, the Trinity doesn't make logical sense to the human brain, going off of the evidence that Scripture presents, it is a logical outcome of the description of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, it doesn't make logical sense, but yet neither does uh, the atonement of my sins. Oh, yeah, fair point. You know, so, I mean, if if we want to say anything's logical— God's grace doesn't make sense because I, I, I do not deserve it. So yeah. if we want to talk about logic, oh my. Yeah, we, we'd be in big trouble if we're trying to go <laughs> off logic. I mean, someone trying to raise himself from the dead. You know, that doesn't make sense. It, there's, yeah, there's no way that it would make logical sense in today's world. So, yeah, no, if we're trying to go off logic, we, we're at a lost cause. <laughs> so, and then, so Robert Morgan, he continues on, and he finishes off by saying that, you know, the verse speaks of his preexistence, his coexistence, and then it just speaks of his divine existence. And so, and the word was God. And I, I was cu- kind of curious because like in the, hum- in, in the English translation, I think of you hear the word was and you think oh, that's past tense. But yet the Greek uh, talks about just in, in existence that it is, it's present tense. And so when it speaks that and the word was God, it's saying that the words existed in God. God the Father and the Son existed at once with each other. So this is a continuation of, you know, the belief of the Trinity. So John, what he's trying to get yet here, that, you know, verses 1 through 9, that there is a word, you know. There's a spoken revelation, a revealing of God. And he's trying to get a message here, you know. And you hear through uh, prophets and stuff like that, you know, there's a message that he wants to relay to his people. And one through nine says there's a light that shines through the darkness, that there is a type of hope. There's grace to be, to be given here. There's a message that needs to be heard, you know, and you could wrap this up into a, you know, that this is an evangelistic title that John is trying to show that there's something important that I'm about to tell you. He says that John the Baptist bore witness to this and you're about to bear witness to this. So what does it say in, uh, I think that one of y'all have talking about verse 10 through 14, yeah, I mean, just to hitch off that concept, um, in the intro to this episode, you quoted already chapter 20, verse 31, although I believe you quoted a different version of the Bible. The ES, 
You did? Well, I, no, I, I, I quoted from THV, Tanner Higgins' oh, version. Oh, well, gotcha. Well, the ESV, um, John chapter 20, <laughs> verses thir- uh, verse 31 says, So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, may have life in his name. And we established that, like, that's the purpose of this book. That's kind of what sets it uh, apart from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is the goal of John. It's a very, um, it's a scripture meant to evangelize, to, to preach to the nation. And even though you, we got the Tanner Higgins version of that to establish like the goal of this book, it is established way before chapter 20. It's, it's established here in chapter 1, just in a less succinct fashion. Uh, and I think I'll start in verse 9 for the sake of this. Verses 9 through 13 do a good job of kind of setting the stage. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And to go one verse further to tile this back to the first couple verses that we've been talking about for a while, says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we have seen his glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So uh, I kind of set that up and said everything that I wanted to say, really, on that block of uh, verses 9 through 13. But getting back into this this verse, uh, I believe there's a little bit of controversy surrounding that, saying, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like what, mm-hmm. personally to me, like face value, it seems pretty obvious what that means. Like we're talking about the Word is Jesus. So discuss <laughs> i mean absolutely because uh, i hear it from preachers all the time you know you know we go back to the first couple of verses in the beginning was the word and like you just said you know to us it seems very evident that that is jesus so you just replace it in the beginning was jesus and jesus was with god and jesus was god and you know we try to like we, we tie it back to the trinity you know we try to think of them as separate things but in reality they're they are still one so I think a lot of times, you know, we will forget that Jesus is a form of God himself. Mm. So um, I, think it, I think it's very appropriate to, you know, be able to replace, you know, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, the word. And I think it's very, it's actually dangerous, too, for the fact that, like, God, the supreme ultimate being of everything, coming down to a weak point of flesh, because, I mean, what does Scripture say about the flesh? That the flesh is weak amongst all things. Well, this is the heart, but yet, you know, the heart and the flesh. Uh, but, you know, that, you know, we are, you know, we're sinful creatures. And so now God himself is stepping down to dust of the earth, basically. And so uh, just like I said earlier about Mormons, they believe that, you know, that Jesus was human at one point and transcending to Godhood. You know, that, you know, they're our... A lot of other beliefs think, okay, my goal is to become a God. My goal is to be God, is to transcend above my reality and, uh, and become a God. And so what Christianity does is that it's completely different, is that God himself is stepping down to a low part of humanity, of the flesh, to save humanity. And I think that's a be- beautiful story that it, it, it's, you know, very taboo to other, uh, other faiths. And to me, I think that that shows lividity that it has um, importance. I believe it shows that, that 
there's something more to it than just at face value by what we read. So ten, you, you read 10 through 13, and I think that 10 through 10, 13 is, is really important because it's showing that he is the Savior who redeems us. Uh, go ahead and read those again. I, I think those are powerful. I think that we need to kind of read them again. Okay. Uh, verses 10 through 13 uh, says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Mm -hmm. So here, I think it's important to know that obviously people are going to reject Christ. It says that even when he was here on earth, that he was rejected. You know, his own his own people despised him, and you even see that the people of Nazareth. didn't like him. They just basically, you know, you're just, get out of here. You know, they tried to stone him in Nazareth. But then he gives a hope of, re- of redemption to the people that believe and trust in him. He says, you know, you'll be children of God. Now, this isn't the type of, you know, you, you will be a God, but yet you will be co-heirs, that you will be in the wake of God's grace, that you will receive what? Eternal life, that he says. So I think that's important to note that it's, that it's not becoming a God here, but yet being with God. Yeah. And that concept is illustrated in verse 15, just continuing to go down uh, the scripture. It says in parentheses in my version of the Bible, it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And just continuing on through verse 18, uh, says, for from, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, and two, two things I want to point out there. Uh, first of all, uh, even though this book is called, this, this is the Gospel of John, the first instance of talking about John there, well, no, this isn't the first instance, but in verse 15 when it, when it talks about John, that's referring to John the Baptist, is it not? Yes, because he's 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 basically saying you know, talking about the prophecy uh, yeah. of John the Baptist, and yeah. then John was like, "There's somebody that's is, that surpasses me," uh, and, and speaking of Christ. Yeah, uh, and the other thing that I want to point out is in verse 17, and it says, "For the law was given through Moses," and this is more of just a simple observation. It's not much of like a huge revelation or anything like that, but I don't. This is a concept that we've touched on several times in the podcast already. Uh, But especially as people that grew up in church, I think that we take the Bible for granted a lot of the times. Um, I mean, the the entire world takes the Bible for granted. I mean, goodness sakes, we do not deserve this scripture. Um, But we take it for granted in that I feel like a lot of people underestimate how genius the word is. Like, it's written extremely well. We're talking about... Which word? Are you talking about just the way that it's the, written or just... The word, like the Bible. Okay. Like it's written it's written very well because you have just these very casual hyperlinks to other areas of the Bible. Like the Bible references itself all the time. You can connect the dots uh, between all sorts of different verses throughout the New and Old Testament and they cross between the two all the time. Uh, I mean, just that casual mention of the, the law came through Moses, just that reference to Leviticus. I'll, I mean, I love that. Like when, when God was given the, the 613 or 611, depending on who you are. Uh, laws that were introduced in, in the Old Testament through Moses uh, saying that, that 
that paved the way for Jesus Christ to offer grace and truth. And I can't remember if it's in the book of John, but it's in one of the gospels where it's just um, straight up described that Jesus is the superior Moses, essentially. That he, he is the improvement, the final product. Uh, so, yeah, just that hyperlink to a previous era of the Bible. Like, I, I just like the, those subtle nods, which, I mean, well, this wasn't so subtle, but you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got all these, like, Old Testament uh, stories and individuals. Moses is a Christ type, you know, that led people out of bondage. Uh, you've got Melchizedek was a Christ type that brought peace to broken na- nations. Uh, David was a Christ type that had the heart of, of, of God and his heart broke for his people. So I have all these Christ types, but yet they all fall short of sin. And, and I think that, you know, uh, Brother Mark preached on it uh, Sunday. was like, you know, they had distractions. And Jesus had distractions too, but yet he, had, he, he, he overcame them and, and sinned not. And this is what set him apart uh, above everyone else because he is directly the son of God. Yeah. Which, I mean, he had about the biggest distraction of all, like Satan came to him in the flesh yeah. <laughs> trying to tempt him. That's, I don't think anybody else can, can say that. So the next uh, block of verses that I want to read and then discuss uh, are verses 19 through, I believe, we'll go through 23. And I'll just read it and we'll discuss from there. Uh, starting verse 19, God's word said, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So at face value, that seems like a little funny back and forth because it's I mean, it's just this back and forth of, who are you? Uh, I'm not the Christ. Are you this guy? No. How about this guy? No. Well, who on earth are you? There's a little bit of humor there. But if you, if you read a little deeper and go one, uh, one verse further, I should have read to verse 24 because it says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And that, that's a very important verse to modify these uh, previous several because that, that helps you realize there's an ulterior motive in these questions. It, it's such a depressing thought that the existing uh, religious powers that be were so quick to like desire to undermine the possibility of a legitimate Messiah coming. Mm-hmm. Like this desire to hold on to power, to continue like ruling over this religious class that exists, that Jesus is going to make waves to the point that they conspire to kill him and succeed. Cause I mean, Hey, it's all part of the plan. Who knew? But not long. Oh, exactly. Again, it's, it's just, it's this, I hesitate to say bittersweet, but I mean, obviously there is positivity in it because Jesus found victory through through all this struggle. Um, that so soon the Pharisees were scheming. They're like, "Hey, is this is this guy is this guy legit? We need to find out if we need to take care of him right quick." Because I mean, they do take care of John the Baptist pr- pretty soon after he starts making waves himself uh, and baptizes Jesus. Uh, it, it's a pretty ruthless world out there for a legitimate follower of Christ and especially Christ himself. So that again, those verses, it's so easy to just kind of brush over those and be like, Oh, well, this is an interesting back and forth, but that, that ulterior motive that's, that's hidden not so far beneath those verses. I mean, it's pretty clearly stated in verse 24 there. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Uh, personally reading the gospels as an adult and really like studying over them, finding the significance in, uh, Jesus's, relatively brief life on earth it it really just 
it hurts that there was just so much hatred thrown at this literally blameless individual. And seeing it so uh, quickly addressed in the book of John, it's, it's very sobering, uh, realizing the struggle that Jesus had to face. I think it's also interesting to know that John the Baptist, which is Jesus' cousin, is the very first recorded individual to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And he says later on, it says after he was accused of, like, who do, the Pharisees accused him, was like, who, who, who are you, dude? Like, you're nobody. You're eating locusts and, and dressed like a, like a madman. You know, you're homeless, bro. He, the next day, it says in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said after he comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So he already recognizes like this is the guy I was talking about. This is the guy that I've been preaching about saying that is going to redeem the world. Save your sins because he, was, he is the Son of God. He is God come in flesh. So we'll, uh, we'll finish this off real quick with uh, talking about a little bit about Jesus' baptism. I think it's important to establish the timeline of when the baptism was and what happened to precede that after, because that's kind of what I believe that uh, baptism signifies. So verse 31, he says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. This is John the Baptist speaking that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So this baptizing was the very first instance in in the book of John before Jesus' ministry. Because the next event you see is that Jesus calls his disciples, like he calls his first disciples uh, the, the very next day. So what does his baptism signify? It signifies the beginning of his ministry. Like it is the anointing of Christ being, this is the Son of God. This is the King of Kings. God saying, I'm anointing you to do what I've called you to do. And so this baptizing that John is saying, I may baptize with water, but yet the Holy Spirit has come upon him in a way that is going to change the world forever. And so I think this resonates to why we baptize, is that it is to signify, okay, this is the beginning of our earthly ministry. You know, and I think this is the beginning point of our sanctification, to sanctify, to grow in the Spirit of God, because this brings a point to the world. It's like, okay, I have a job to do. God's called me to do something, and I'm serious about it. You're making that statement to God, and you're making the statement to the world when you're being baptized. And, and I think this is what's happening here is that Jesus is showing Israel, just like John says, that it may be revealed to Israel, to the people, that Jesus is who he says he is. So this is a type of anointing upon Christ saying, this is the guy. This is who he says he is, and this is the beginning of his ministry. And I think this is one reason why we baptize, is that it's it's to represent and to signify this is the start of our Christian ministry, which every individual, every Christian has a calling. Every Christian has a calling. But this is not what saves you, but yet this is what I believe is a good representation of the first step 
to your calling in ministry. And when I say ministry, I'm not talking about just, just pastoring. I think it's a, it's a good symbolization for what you, for what you've done. You know, you may you can accept Christ anywhere. You know, it, it can be it, God. It can call you out in front of the public church. But you know, I've also heard you know many stories of you know, youth pastors or any, anybody else. Uh, you know, uh, they felt convicted at church, but they went home and talked with their family, and you know they get they got saved at home in a private situation, a private environment. Um, but I think, you know, exactly what you said, you know, you do the baptism to symbolize, you know, what you've done so that you can publicly, you know, start, you know, your, your work for Christ. I just want to interject real quick that I got so gun heavy on my calling and me being baptized and me becoming a Christian and, and, and this other stuff that let's just say Jesus wasn't called, but yet he was sent and he went. Okay, let's just let's just say that Jesus, God wasn't. Ser- I hate those those songs that God just suppose God searched through heaven. And I heard one song. God just suppose that God searched through heaven, finding who might do the job. And I'm like, uh, no, that didn't happen. God didn't find Jesus. This was initiated before the time. I mean, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This plan, God had this all set up in motion before He even created the earth. He knew what was going to happen before. So. There is no, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say that he was, Jesus was not called. He went. He knew what, what needed to be done. It wasn't like, okay, I guess I'll go. It was one of those like, okay, a job needs to be done. I'm going to do it. So let me just redact that. I just want to be clear. Hmm. <laughs> uh, kind of a, an abrupt ending to this first uh, part of the episode. Uh, next episode we'll be covering the other half of John chapter 1. But uh, one thing that we need to to talk about uh, plug whatever word you want to use uh, before we close out this episode we have not only an email which has been in the show notes for the past several episodes but we do indeed have a facebook and an instagram now that is not in the show notes because me personally i do not have social media and thus it is very difficult for me to track down other social media pages because it turns out the internet is not built for people that don't have social media so tanner if you could so kindly plug those and then write them down so I can put them in the show notes. That'd be great. So, I mean, if you want to send us any questions or any statements that you want to talk to us about, uh, the emails, like you said in the show notes, but if you're lazy like me and don't go in the show notes, it's uh, podcast.crosstraining at gmail.com. Uh, send us in your questions or statements or whatever. If you don't like uh, Matthew's voice, uh, we can get a voice changer. Uh, or if you... Uh, There's a filter for that. There is a filter <laughs> for that. Uh, we will be applying filters. I do have auto-tune. Or any suggestions, ooh. you can email us. Ooh, auto-tune. We can start singing some of these. Uh, that would be a fun episode. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but the uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram page is just a cross-training. Uh, I know this start of the book study was kind of sporadic. You know, we're just kind of seeing how this goes. Because... Yeah. Which, I mean, behind the scenes information, this, this was something that we wanted to do before we started the podcast. Uh, I, again, what we said at the beginning of the episode, we've, we've been kind of staying in the topic of unity. And this, in a way, is kind of a departure from that. Um, although, again, the Bible itself like, speaks to unity in its very essence. So, I mean, it, it does still kind of call back there. But th- this is something that we felt led to do. So, I mean, it's something that we look forward to continuing. Uh, and one more thing uh, to bring up before we close out. 
again, this this showed up in the show notes a few episodes ago. Uh, the music that you hear in the beginning and the end of every episode, and sometimes it shows up as a mid-roll uh, sound as well. That song is called Sky Tide by a, an electronic musician known as Ronald Jinkies, who was kind enough to just give us permission to use his song. Leroy so. Jinkies. Oh, that's it's Jenkins, not Jinkies. <laughs> different, different guy. Uh, but he was he was kind enough to just give blanket permission to use his music. Um, I mean, I threw some money to him as a as just a thank you. But he's a very very kind soul. Uh, check him out. He, pretty much all of his music sounds like that. It's very accessible. Very very fun to listen to. So you can thank him for our very very professional sounding music because it is professionally made by someone that isn't me. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Jinkies. Yeah. You can find him on all your stuff, Spotify. Oh yeah, stuff. Yeah. Whatever you're not, so you're. This is our to. plug episode. You're plugging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's long overdue. We we've had True. some of this stuff and just haven't brought it up. So give now credit you know. where credit's due. So part two of uh, John chapter one will be next week, and uh, until then, Tanner, say the word. Peace out.